Please pray with me. Unless the Holy Spirit works, Lord, we will just be a gathering. A gathering like those who will be gathering at a football game or a basketball game, whatever it may be. But the gathering of the people is unto God. And Father, we are trusting that the Spirit will open our understanding to the truths that are to be found in your word this morning for this morning's message. Please grant that the word will be as relevant as tomorrow's newspaper. As we believe, Father, that the word of God is the eternal contemporary. It is never out of date. May it speak volumes to our hearts. And may we find our rest in you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. G. Campbell Morgan one of my favorite theologians. In the words that we are going to be studying this morning from John 8, really the, 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 the verse is verse 58. The context is 48 to 58. But the words that we are going to be studying this morning are the words that anticipate Christmas before there was Christmas, of course. And G. Campbell Morgan said of these words when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, he, he draws our attention to the fact. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. All the difference in the world. There are, these are the words of the most impudent blasphemer, says Morgan, that ever spoke or they are the word of the incarnate God. Either they are the words of the most impudent blasphemer, or they are the man is the word of God. You've heard me quote C.S. Lewis. I am trying to here to prevent anyone from saying really foolish things that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. <laughs> you must make your choice. Either he is the devil of hell or he is the son of God. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something else. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and you may kill him as a demon. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. He didn't put himself for us to admire him as we would admire a statue or some kind of an ornament. Listen to his blistering words. If anyone does not receive my word... They will die. <laughs> Can any other person say that 
they would say that getting ready to kill you if you're in front of them. But Jesus is not talking about physical death. The Jews understood that he was not talking about physical death because they said, listen, Abraham died, we know that, and you are saying that if anyone receives your word, they will not die? Aren't you contradicting yourself? Well, they were ignorant of what Jesus meant. So this morning's message, as the first message of Advent, as was read by Josh a few moments ago, the weight is on verse 58, but I will allude to the verses previous to that because verse 58 is the consummation, the climax. It is the word that caused them, as we see in verse 59, taking up stones to kill him. So we begin by listening to Jesus. The argument was on. There was a conflict of language. There was, there was a lack of understanding. And Jesus came out at the conclusion of the whole thing by saying, before Abraham was, and some of the translations, you might have some of it, some translations says, before Abraham was born. The Greek doesn't say that. The writers, and by the way, if you, if you have a King James translation, and it has that, I don't remember what, as I, I use the King James with, along with my other Bibles, but if, if you read the King James, if it says, before Abraham was born, they will have it in italics. And whenever you see italicized letters or words in the King James translation, it is saying it is not in the Greek. They are, they are putting it there so that the English reader could understand. But in the Greek, it doesn't say before Abraham was born. Neither does the Greek say, I am he. Some translations have that. The Greek reads, before Abraham was, I am. And when he made that statement, the Jews could take it no more. They decided to kill him. Because that is the reward for anyone who makes himself to be God. And when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, immediately any educated Jew could go back to the book of Exodus, where the first expression of I am is used by the eternal God. And when Jesus used that, he's making himself to be God. Let me make two brief statements about that phrase. First of all, it was an, a, a, what I call an authentic claim. It was not an empty claim. Uh, one, one, one of the things I, I used to do when I was a young chap, I, I used to like imitating people. Not, not, not carelessly, but, but imitate them. And, and I could tell you of some, but I won't. <laughs> but what, what, one of the imitation, some of you older men, and I say men because I think that you will relate to this more than the women unless the women were in baseball. In baseball, my favorite player was Duke Snyder. 
Duke Snyder was the center fielder for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Duke Snyder was a left-handed batter. And when I played ball, I was a right-handed batter. But I loved Duke Snyder so much that I practiced day and night to become a switch hitter so that I could be like Duke Snyder. Now, that's as far as I will go. I won't tell you some of the other imitations that I did. What am I telling you this? Because I could make myself think that I'm Duke Snyder, but I am not. I could pretend that I am. Jesus was not making a careless statement. He was making an authentic statement, a statement that could not be refuted by anyone. He lived before them, and he stunned their imagination with the way he, he spoke, with the way he lived. The statement proceeded as one that caused them to say, this man is going beyond our ability to, to put up with him. The statement is intended to show what is about to be said is reliable. So how did he do that? He began by saying, truly, truly. Or the King James translation, verily, verily. Dear friends, that phrase, when Jesus precedes a statement with that phrase, there are two things that he's expressing. Number one, that what he's about to say is true. Is true. The second thing, what he's about to say is the truth. There are certain things that are true, but not everything is the truth. I can, I can, I, I can say... Do I, do I dare say it? Sodaville is in the world. But Sodaville is not the center of the world. <laughs> to say that Sodaville in the world is a true statement. But to say that it is the center of the world. Now if I say New York is the center of the world. Everyone knows what that means. That there are things in New York that you will not find in Sodaville, things that people respect all over the place. So you can make a statement that is true, but not a statement that is the truth. And Jesus is saying, what I am about to say is not only true, it is the truth. And we will verify this in, in a few moments. We live in a postmodern world. We hardly hear the word anymore, do we not? Postmodernism. The, the, the emergent church and all these, these little phrases that, that we, we relished about five to six years ago. And in the postmodern world, the whole philosophy of postmodernism is that truth does not exist, especially absolute truth. Please listen to this. In a recent survey, 66% of Americans do not believe 
that absolute truth exists. 66%. Listen to the second part. Among 18 to 25 years old, 72% do not believe that truth exists. Between the ages of 18 to 25, 72% believe. By the way, they believe that there's no such thing as absolute truth. That's a contradictory statement, isn't it? <laughs> if I say there is no such thing as absolute truth, isn't that an absolute statement? So I'm contradicting myself. But it gets even worse, friends. 53% of people who claim to be Christians do not believe in absolute truth. More than half the Christian population, if you please. You can see then that when Jesus is making a point here, he's talking about something that was absolutely relevant because, my friends, if you listen to philosophers today, many are saying, many are saying, it isn't God that is dead, it is truth. It is truth that's dead. We can't say everything is relative now. I don't know how appropriate this is, but I was, I was checking my news flash this morning, and, and uh, you know, Bing Crosby sang a song 50 years ago, 60 years ago, Baby, It's Cold Outside. And every American station will not be playing that song anymore because of Me Too campaign. Everything is relative. And as I listened to that, as I read that, you know what I thought? By the end of this century, will there be anything to believe? Everything is being upheaval. But what Jesus is talking about is a truth that was relevant not for the first century. Not for the centuries prior to that, he's speaking truth that is relevant, relative, re relevant for time. For time. Truly. Truly. Not only truly. I want you to know that what I am speaking is so absolutely essential that I want you to know that it is the truth. The truth. Later on, he's going to say, I am the way, the truth. So truth is not only a propositional statement, it's a personal statement. But it's also not only an irrefutable statement, it was a statement or a claim of integrity. Look, look if you please, at how Jesus calmly spoke with them. Look at the text again. And look at, at verse uh, 55. He said, and you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar. How do we just skip over those words? Jesus said, if I say I don't know him, I will be denying the reality of myself. And I will become a liar like you. You are saying something you know isn't true. 
I am telling you something that is true. And if I say something that you want to hear the way you say it, I will be denying myself. And if I deny myself, my friends, as I said last week, if, if there is change in God, in time, then nothing that God has ever said can be trusted. Nothing that God has ever promised can be expected to be accomplished. Uh, you know, think of what Angie and the family and Ron are going through with getting this. this I mean, you listen carefully. <laughs> listen carefully to, to the demands that's made on them. If, if God didn't give them the assurance that he is with them, who would want, I said to someone, who would want to go through that? But, but see, when we trust in God, we trust in his integrity, that he will not lie to us. If it were not so, he would have told us, he said in John 14. So the, the argument was based upon the consciousness, the constancy of truth. Time does not alter truth. God is not less than God now because we live in the 21st century as he was in the 1st century or as he lived when he spoke to Moses. If he denied what was true, then that only will do away with every other statement that he has ever made. So when Jesus said, I am. He was talking about something that was relevant for the time he was with the disciples on earth as well as today. And if he takes another hundred years to come, that statement will still be true because the constancy of truth never, never changes. It was an authentic statement. He stood behind it because of his integrity and because no one could refute the claims that he made. He could look into the faces of his contemporaries and say, which of you could convince me of sin? Neither the disciples who walked with him nor Pilate who said, I do not find any fault with this man or the thief on the cross who said, we are suffering for what we deserve, but this man, he has done nothing amiss. He must have heard of Jesus, or he wouldn't be able to make that statement. He has done nothing wrong. Could that be said of me? Just ask Mrs. Thurton. <laughs> Could that be said of you? Authentic statement. But secondly, it was an absolute statement. So it was not only a true statement, it was a statement that was, was true within itself. Jesus was conscious of who he was speaking with his contemporaries in the first century, but he's speaking now of his own consciousness of existence before they were even conceived in their mother's womb. So he began by saying, before Abraham was. That is, not before he was born, because he's not talking of time. He's saying before Abraham was even a thought. Because for Abraham to become a thought, Jesus had to give him the thought, his parents, and bring him into the world. 
So when Jesus said before Abraham, he is conscious of his own existence before time was. <laughs> you know, this past week, you know that um, I forgot the name of the, the satellite that reached Mars this past week. And now I, I think one headline is, now that they have reached Mars, now what? And so, <laughs> I'm laughing because I said, what, what if they find little men, green men up there? What are they going to do? Listen, we can't even get along with one another on Earth. And we're going to try to invade. You know, that's, what, that, that, that's exactly what Stephen Hawking says. He said we should prepare ourselves to deal with life out of space so that when they meet him, we meet in a friendly term. <laughs> that, that, that is, well, I don't want to say what it is. I'll leave it like that. <laughs> Stephen Hawking could say anything and he'll get away with it. Jesus here is, my friends, not talking of time. The before means prior to time. Prior to time. Jesus is, is saying in John 17, 17, Father, the glory I had with you before the world was. The Son of God, now 33 years old, 32 plus some months before the cross, is standing in front of his contemporaries and he's saying, I existed before I am standing here. And he existed not as some kind of green monster somewhere out there. He existed with glory. And that is why, that is why we read Jesus said, the glory I had with you before the world was. His existence was not simply being there. His existence was in communication, in communion. His, his, he, he, it was a love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he knew where he was before he was standing there. Not like the Hindus or the Muslims that say, in your past life you did this and did this. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's why we open our service this morning with fairest Lord Jesus. Because as we think of Christmas, my friends, we must not think of Jesus as beginning to exist that first Christmas morning. His existence precedes time. And everything that exists in the world came into being because Jesus who preceded time made them all. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made. How, how we need, my friends, some consistency in our world that can keep us on even keel as we face the kind of world in which we're living now. Things, are, we're talking about it in our class this morning. Things come to us so quickly. We can't, even, we can't even process the things that are happening because as soon as one comes, another one comes. Like the earthquakes 
in, in Alaska. The big one and then little ones and little ones, and we don't know when the others are going to come. But I, I want you to see how important this is. Jesus said, I'm from above. I know where I come from. Your birth is a mystery to you. My existence is no mystery to me because I am. <laughs> I know how you came into the world. You don't know how I came into the world. I am from above. You are from below. And listen, listen to the relevance of these words. Jesus said, because I come from above into your world, whoever receives my words will never die. You can go where I come from if you receive my words as to how you get there. Someone has well said it, and I agree with it. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to make good men better. He came into the world to make dead men live. You can't, you can't get to heaven apart from... This is how relevant it is in the 21st century. And people would rather dismiss the idea of heaven and earth. Da Vinci Code will try to bring Jesus down to where he can be like one of us with, with all the, the ugliness of the, 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 the practice of human. It will never work. It will never work. Jesus is the name of integrity. And his consciousness precedes time. You and I could never even think of that. There was a time when you and I never was. But there's never a time that Jesus was not before Abraham. That's why we lit the blue candle this morning. The message of Christmas is a message from above, not one from below. Lastly, his consciousness precedes time, or his claim. His claim not only preceded, but it, it exceeds it. I am. No mere human being, unless she or he was insane, could make a statement like this. This is a divine expression that belongs to the Godhead. Before Abraham was, we find it in the Old Testament, chapter 3 of Exodus. Moses is concerned as to how he's going to speak to a people that's, that's, that's hurting for 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And Moses is afraid to go back to them because he killed a man to try to show them that God could be trusted. Nice way to do it. And now God is sending him back. He says, how am I going to go back to them? What am I going to tell them? They know who I am. And Jesus said to Moses in the Old Testament, because we understand that what Moses was seeing was the pre-incarnate Jesus, if you go to John chapter 8 and verse 12. That Jesus was the one who, who was there. He is the one who's, who expresses the glory of the Father. 
That's what John chapter 1 says. We have seen him, seen the glory of the Father. And now, Jesus is saying that I transcend. The message of Christmas transcends time because it is rooted in the eternality of God. Time comes out of eternity, not the other way around. The, 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 the word, the word, please forgive me for this because it's not a word that you use every day. In fact, I just checked my dictionary again to make sure. If, if you look for the word A-S-E-I-T-Y, aseity, you will not find it in any of your American dictionary. But it's a word. I had to go to my unabridged, the real big one. <laughs> and I found the word. Jesus is speaking of his aseity. What does that word mean? The word means this. Existence, existence, originating and having no source other than itself. When Jesus said, I am, he's talking about his existence originating. My friends, who can, who can grasp this? God is the only uncaused cause. There is nothing in all of the universe that can explain itself by itself. Only God could come into the universe and doesn't need a cause. That's the mystery of Christmas. We have lost that. No heavenly creature, no earthly creature exists in time but that they borrowed their existence from one who has always existed. Listen, friends. If Jesus, if Jesus was wrong, we are in trouble. If Jesus was telling a lie, we are in trouble. We have been celebrating a lie all these years, but thanks be to God he is the truth. He is the I am. In John 16, 28, he said, I came from the Father into the world. He's speaking of his incarnation. Now, now you can say birth if you want to, okay? Don't get me wrong now. But, but I've stopped using the word the birth of Jesus. I use the word the coming of Jesus. See, birth has become too common for us. We, we can even, you know, two, two Chinese scientists just gave birth to some artificial children two, two weeks ago or something. So birth is a good word. Please do not get me wrong. But I use the word coming because whenever Jesus speaks of his birth, he speaks of his coming into the world. Coming into the world. From outside, light invaded darkness. And he lights every man that comes into the world that trusts in him. Jesus said, whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And whoever receives my word shall not see death 
Abraham died, but Abraham is alive. <coughs> Moses died, but Moses is alive. Your loved ones who have preceded you in death, in Christ, they're alive. Because whoever listens to his word may die physically, but they will live forever with him who said that where I am, there you may be also. Let me close with these words. What was the joy of his eternal past? That glory which he had with the Father before the world was. In John 12, 41, he makes clear, I said 12, it's 41. John 12, it was Jesus that was in Isaiah chapter 6. We find that the seraphims adored him with veiled faces saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. But this was homage paid by his creatures, his majesty before creation. His was equality with God, equality both in nature and state. His was perfect fellowship of the word with God, as 1 John, John 1 says, the intimacy of a life rich beyond all creatures' understanding. His was, as it were, the bliss of sonship, the joy that abode of love, the bosom, love that enjoyed the bosom of the Father. He was the joy of that eternity wherein the Father's love gave him in promise those who would be with him to behold his glory that should follow the bearing of the curse on the cross. That's why in John 14, said that where I am, there you might be also. Jesus wants us to see in glory what he was before time and what he'll be for all eternity. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we might become the riches of God in him. He anticipated Christmas, but he anticipated because he existed forever and will continue to exist as long as there's time and then back into eternity. Christmas, first Sunday of Advent. I trust that you have been stirred to make this Christmas different than the last one because you see now of whom it speaks and what glory he brings. Let us pray. Take time, friends. Did God speak to you this morning concerning Jesus Christ, concerning his word? Take time to give him thanks. If there are further needs to speak about this text, I would be more than happy to meet with anyone who has that, that need. But I trust that God's word may have been a comfort to you this morning an encouragement to you and that which will strengthen you in your faith as you face a secular world in which you can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. But I trust that you'll be able to say it with humility, with gentleness, and with joy. And so, our Father, take your word as it has been presented and, Father, bring about the truth you desire 
so that we will live in this world with a heavenly perspective at this Christmas time. And we will enjoy every benefit of the celebration, but, oh God, may it never be at the expense of reducing Jesus Christ to a baby born in Bethlehem. He had glory with you before the, the foundation of the world, and may we enjoy him whose coming we celebrate at this time. And may that make all the difference in the world in how we celebrate it. May it be for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.